Today on Ag News Daily. And I think the farmer has not been at the center of this conversation, and they absolutely have to be. There is no food security without a farmer, period. And so if we haven't created um, economic viability for farming in America, our food security is absolutely at risk. Well, good morning, folks. And before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that this week's episodes are sponsored by Kubota. Together, we do more. Delaney, how is the weather there in Iowa this morning? I have not yet been outside, but it is sunny. And I'm going to guess it's going to be hot today if I had to take a stab at predicting the weather, Cassidy. I think that's probably a good guess. We actually got some rain here last night and cooled it off a little bit. And my husband is headed to the field for the week, so I'm hoping it stays a little cool for him and his classmates. Yes, that uh, would probably be welcome. Here in Iowa, we kick off the Iowa State Fair later this week on Thursday, so I'm sure some of our Iowa listeners will be heading that way. And it's going to be a hot one, so... Folks, I'll probably be walking around the State Fair on Saturday. If I see anyone, I'd love to say hi. But other than that, Cassidy, speaking of the weather, yesterday we saw the crop conditions report, crop progress report come out. And as Arlen suspected, we did see crop conditions drop a little bit, 58% of the corn crop was now rated good to excellent. That's down three percentage points from the previous week and six percentage points below last year's rating of 64%. This good to excellent rating is the seventh lowest rating since 2000. And on the soybean side of things, crop conditions sitting at 59% good to excellent down just one percentage point from last week. And this current rating is the eighth lowest rating since 2000. So certainly not seeing the worst year on record. However, we also saw DTN's digital yield tour kick off earlier this week, earlier yesterday. And that is powered by Grow Intelligence. They noted that the average U.S. corn yield was at a 167.2 and soybeans yield came in at a 48.9. That, of course, this tour started quite a few years ago to look at yield estimates using their digital satellite technology. And at this point in time, they came in significantly lower than where USDA is because, of course, in the July report, USDA had a yield of a 177. We're seeing 167 here in this Grow Intelligence report. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of tomorrow's WASD report and whether or not they adjust August yields in this report, Cassidy. Yes, Delaney, I do assume that all of those predictions and data points will be important as we move in closer to September. And I read on Successful Farming that we already have some people in Arkansas starting their harvest. So these numbers are going to start being more concrete as more farmers get in the fields to harvest their crop. They certainly are, Cassidy. It's hard to believe that folks are getting started, probably starting to see some folks chop some silage and Texas and the panhandle. And I know those folks will be getting in the field sooner than we will up here in Iowa, but harvest season is upon us. Absolutely. When I went home just a few weeks ago, a lot of people around my parents' house were already chopping silage and putting away. 
But changing back to the weather news, I did see some news that Denver was hit with some of this flash flooding we've been seeing in Kentucky and Tennessee. And Denver got about two inches within an hour and stranded vehicles across the city yesterday. Yeah, that's quite a lot of rain. Yes, definitely something that I'm not used to and most of my family is not used to this year because of our absolute opposite experience with the weather lately. Well, and it sounds like that's going to be continuing the conversation when you look at weather for the remainder of this growing season. You know, the DTN Digital Tour also noted that really seeing a divide between those folks who have gotten weather hot and dry and those who have not gotten any sort of rain and weather. So going to be continued the conversation there, but I want to continue the conversation talking about China and Taiwan, because as I talked about on the podcast yesterday, China has decided to continue their military exercises. And of course, we know that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was in Taiwan last week and that caused quite a bit of controversy since it was the first time that a sitting U.S. speaker had traveled there in over 25 years. Well, in retaliation to that, China has slapped some tariffs on export and import suspensions on certain goods. They have put import bans on more than 100 Taiwanese products in retaliation for hosting Pelosi. But they products include biscuits, citrus fruits, and mostly foodstuffs that China won't buy from Taiwan. And analysts are saying that's largely symbolic. They also have noted that semiconductors and other electronic components are the biggest contributor, contributor by far, to last year's record 189 billion imports from their neighbor, and those products will not be affected. So according to customs data from China, their imports from Taiwan reached $122.5 billion in the first half of this year, which is up about 7.3%. So although they have noted that they will slap tariffs on quite a few products, food products have been the main focus there still sounds like they're doing quite a bit of business with Taiwan. And it's really just kind of at this point, a way to uh, beat their chest a little bit. Yes, Lenny, I think that's something the whole country is watching very closely, especially us in the military families have been watching very closely to see what comes of this. Hopefully it's just a show of strength and doesn't amount to any more because like we said yesterday it would have a huge effect on the entire world if china were to go to war absolutely and that's certainly not something we want to see happen definitely now before i run another story by you i wanted to remind our listeners that we are sponsored by kubota today celebrating 50 years of helping people get the job done right with versatile durable equipment kubota together we do more now bringing things back domestically delaney there's some good news for cattlemen in the southern states as auburn university is hosting cattle stockmanship and stewardship event in 
on their campus later this month. This will go over some of the NCAA stockmanship and stewardship education, as well as some beef quality assurance additional education. Would be a great opportunity for anyone that's in the area, and it will be held August 12th and 13th, actually this weekend. All right. Well, that's coming right up there. So if our listeners are interested in that, do check that out. But Cassidy, kind of the last piece of news I have here today has been, uh, some of it has been unverified yet, as far as I can tell. But I saw this on Twitter last night. A grain merchandiser I follow suggested that the first load out of Ukraine of grain headed to Lebanon was rejected because of concerns of quality since they had waited five months to send out that shipment of grain. We're seeing, though, Illinois Farm Policy News has reported earlier or late last week, I should say, that this grain has left the Black Sea region, but they're suggesting that it was cleared to embark. We don't have confirmation yet officially from any news sources as to whether or not this Lebanese shipment was in fact rejected. Uh, like I said, it's just somewhat anecdotal that I saw on Twitter. I have not been able to confirm whether or not it has in fact been rejected, but it did clear Ukraine ports, Black Sea region, and has made it to Lebanon by all accounts uh, if it is rejected due to quality, that could be very telling to see the rest of those shipments that were sitting in barges, sitting, waiting to get exported, uh, you know, via quality. That could be very telling to see how the rest of some of these shipments go if, in fact, that does get confirmed later on, Cassidy. Yes, Lenny, I think that's something we'll definitely have to be watching and something to watch here on in the United States in Texas is a young man in Haskell, Texas, has designed and built his own autonomous cattle feeder called the Ranch Rover. He himself welded this entire contraption together and coded it to go all throughout his family's pastures and feed their cattle on its own. And although River McCasney, the man who created it, hasn't said if he is planning to make more or capitalize on this invention that he's created. This could be a good look into the future of cattle feeding. Well, that's a good segue into chatting about today's Tech Tuesday conversation because, of course, today is Tech Tuesday. And actually, I lied. I have a small tech piece of news myself. The largest indoor-grown lettuce facility is actually located in Texas of all, or not located in Texas, I should say, but is opening up a new door in Texas. And they plan to grow from nearly 30 to 50 acres of indoor farming space with this new facility opening in Texas and eventually uh, have plans to get to over 100 indoor acres spread across a couple of different states within the next few years. So it's certainly interesting to see as uh, we think about how food is grown for the future, this company, Revel Greens, is certainly thinking ahead here as they continue to grow and build their hydroponic approach to growing leafy greens. Cassidy? 
Yes, Lainey, that's very cool, especially our interview on Friday with iGrow News talked a lot about controlled ag- controlled environment agriculture and hydroponic farms and how they were the future of sustainable agriculture. So it's cool to see more of them going up. It certainly is. But folks, farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that's proven for over a century, tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid steers. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. And Cassidy, as we head into the opening session here for the markets, grains are significantly higher across the board in the overnight, largely trading on probably the uh, worsening crop conditions report and the lower yield number that we saw coming out of DTN's digital tour. December corn heading into the open is up about 15 cents around 622. New crop soybeans up 30 cents on the morning at 1430. September Chicago wheat up about 14 cents at 794. And livestock are continuing to follow that trend as well with October live cattle up 35 cents heading into the opening session at a buck 44. September feeders up 222 at 185 and October lean hogs up a buck ninety at one hundred dollars. Cassidy, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's interview. Well, Delaney, this is a very exciting conversation I got to have with Robin O'Brien just last week. She is a co-founder of Replant Capital, and she's also a really well-known voice in the food industry space and has a lot to say about what we can do to help our food security and food safety in America. Well, listeners, I could not be more excited to introduce you all to and get to have a conversation with Ms. Robin O'Brien, Managing Director of Impact and Co-Founder at Replant Capital. Not only does she hold this title, but she also has a pretty big resume, TEDx speaker, author, and world-renowned voice in the food industry. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to cover. Robin, thank you so much for joining. Oh, Cassidy, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And like we do with all of our interviewees, I would like to start just by kind of getting an overview of where you came from, what your background in this space or out of this space is, and how you got to replant. I know. Well, I think, you know, I look back over my life and it was a pretty purposeful and clear journey. I am actually named after a farmer and she's a sheep farmer in New Zealand, which is where my mother is from. And then my dad is um, an American and he was in the army and they met in Vietnam. So if you think about sort of all of the passion and all of the patriotism and all of the focus on national security, to me, food security is national security. So my career began out of business school. Um, I was in investments. I was the only woman on the team. The guys had me cover the food industry. So I was learning in, in a very, very unemotional way, um, very mechanical, you know, very financial model kind of way. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I now have four children between the ages of 17 and 22, and one of them really was hit with food allergies. And so I was really trying to understand what's happening to the health of our families. And so where something had been very unemotional, all of a sudden, when you really start to understand what's happening to the health of American families, um, 
it's it weighs pretty heavy on the heart. And so whether we're talking about food allergies or diabetes or cancer or autism, all of these different conditions are impacting all of our families. And I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter what side of the aisle we're on when our children are suffering like this, our hearts all break the same way. Mm-hmm. So what can we be doing? You know, what could I be doing that gets above sort of these party politics and that horrible tension that exists there? And as I really started to focus on the food supply, I thought like all families want a healthier food system. We all want access to clean and safe food at an affordable price. And so that really, I think if I were to describe my personal mission, that will always be my personal mission is to make clean and safe food affordable and accessible to anyone who wants it. And as I really was continuing through that work, I quickly realized that what we do to the soil, we do to our children and we do to ourselves. So how we treat the soil is how we treat ourselves. And I thought, you know, how can we collectively think about this and think about soil stewardship? And as I was working with the different food companies, you know, they would reach out and I was really highlighting this data, especially around children's health and how families were really shifting um, the food companies, you know, started to realize, you know, again, from their own families and, and their own things they were seeing at home, you know, they wanted to be able to shift and create products that a 21st century family wanted to buy. And unfortunately, you know, that now requires being aware of things like diabetes and allergies and all these things. Mm-hmm. And what I quickly learned was that our, our, our supply chain doesn't support that. So that was really the opportunity for replant. And thankfully, I have two amazing co-founders, Don Schaefer and Dave Haynes. And the three of us put our heads together and we thought, you know, how can we support farmers who are stewards of the soil? How can we support farmers in that work? And so we are, are raising money to then provide that capital to farmers that want to transition their farmland and embrace these soil health practices. So it's been really exciting because um, a lot of the big food companies really want to support their farmers in that work too. A lot of the conventional lending institutions aren't really in a place to offer that kind of capital because it takes a while. It takes three to five years. And so we've uh, created a model where we can offer this patient capital in support of farmers who are embracing these practices, transitioning their farmland, embracing soil health. And the most amazing thing about it is, you know, you see nutrient density of the soil improve, water conservation, water infiltration, pollinator health. So we've got all these amazing metrics and um, I'm just very grateful. I'm grateful for the work of our farmers. I'm grateful for the food industry leaning into this. And I'm so grateful for all of the people who are having conversations like the one that we're having today, because as you know, so much of this is just about education. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing your personal message and the the message of replant and what y'all's goal is. And I, I heard you mention food security, and that's been a big talk on our podcast lately, especially with what's happening in Russia, Ukraine. Have y'all seen a uptick in people looking for your service and things like that since Russia, Ukraine started? And what are y'all doing to help with that issue? Yeah, you know, I've been the one on the team talking about food security for a long time. And again, you know, it was really clear to me that food security is national security. And I was very frustrated several years ago that only 1% of farmland in the U.S. is organic, and yet 80% of consumers are buying it and 75% of grocery store 
categories carry organic. And so, you know, again, it's how can we support farmers in this transition and how can we make this affordable and an economically viable model for farmers? Because that is how you create a successful industry is by creating financial stability and financial success for the people that are participating in the industry. And yet our farmers, you know, are, are, are so debt ridden. I mean, the debt levels in the U.S. are just jaw dropping. Mm -hmm. And I thought we wouldn't be asking that of any other entrepreneur. So why are we asking our farmers to step into this debt level, you know, to finance these different chemical input models? And if we think about it differently with soil stewardship, um, what we could see is a reduction in those debt levels because you're not having to take out loans all the time to buy all these chemicals. And so, um, you know, it was really, it, it became a lot of really interesting conversations with farmers, a lot of listening, um, a lot of farmers who were violently opposed to any kind of um, change or transition and really listening. And then other farmers that were telling me that, you know, hey, my, my kids don't want to take over the farm. I mean, they don't want the debt levels. They don't want these chemicals around their babies. Um, and so, you know, really it was just a lot of listening. And I think the farmer has not been at the center of this conversation and they absolutely have to be. Mm -hmm. There is no food security without a farmer, period. And so if we haven't created um, economic viability for farming in America, our food security is absolutely at risk. And to me, this is the front page of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, Washington Post. Every single newspaper should be talking about food security. Mm -hmm. And I think the back-to-back -back, um, nature of both the COVID pandemic and the war in Russia and Ukraine really has exposed our vulnerability in our food system. And we import so many of these things, you know, and it's absolutely crazy, in my opinion, that at the federal level, we haven't looked at this and said, what do American families want to eat and how do we grow that? Mm -hmm. And we're not doing that. So we're importing a lot of the fruits and vegetables. We're importing a lot of the livestock feed. We're importing a lot of um, the different things that all of us, you know, eat and drink every single day. And I think to create that food security, we have to create this financial security for American farmers. Those two things are parallel. They go hand in hand. And to me, you know, if we're going to be talking about the farm bill, if we're going to be talking about these issues at the federal level, we really have to talk about what is the financial viability of the American farmer. And I think our listeners are really going to appreciate that message from you because most of our listener base is row crop farmers and things like that in the Corn Belt of the United States, and they want to be the center of these types of conversations. Now, I'm sure you've heard about Sri Lanka and how they really pushed for organic in not so good of a way, and it's really collapsed their e economy as of lately. What are you doing and what is Replant doing to change how we approach removing chemicals and going organic in the United States so that we don't face that same fate? Yeah, again, I mean, you have to make the math work. If the math doesn't work for the farmer, it's not going to work. And so in the U.S., you know, we have the farm subsidy system. And then on the other hand, if a farmer wants to transition to organic, he has to pay fees uh, to label it as organic. He's charged all these different fees to test it for organic. And so, again, that economic burden is placed on the farmer, which, in my opinion, is completely wrong. Um, so again, how do you level the playing field financially for growers so that they're not actually financially penalized for transitioning to organic, which unfortunately that's the case right now. And then you think about our subsidy system, you know, that's coming from our tax dollars. And imagine if we as taxpayers could say, 
you could you could imagine if on your tax return you could say i want my tax dollars supporting this or i want my tax dollars supporting this we don't have that choice mm-hmm. and so you know behind the scenes the the decisions are made that the tax dollars are going to support this chemical input model that chemical input model is actually what has burdened our farmers with such remarkable debt levels because as we transition to these genetically engineered crops and the chemical inputs that were required to grow them, farmers all of a sudden were charged licensing fees, royalty fees, trait fees. They hadn't been charged those things 30 years ago. So all of a sudden they're paying all these extra fees for these genetically engineered crops. And then they're also, you know, they're, they're signing these stewardship agreements to then use the chemicals that are tied to those crops. So instead of just purchasing seeds, which, you know, the grandfathers and great grandfathers had done, they're suddenly paying licensing fees, royalty fees, trait fees, and they're having to purchase all these chemicals. And that totally changed the financial model of farming in America. And I think, you know, it's time to really step back and say, at what cost? Because now we're at a point where there's $426 billion of farmer debt in the U.S. and young people don't necessarily want to go into farming. So again, getting back to this food security issue, food security, food security happened when you have a permanent pipeline of young people stepping into farming, because that Mm -hmm. actually is food security. If young people are looking at farming and saying, you know, hey, financially, that's not viable, I won't be able to support my family, or I don't want to step into the chemical input, we're really at risk. So there's a lot of risk, I think, in food security coming from a lot of different angles. So, you know, again, how do we how do we take farming in America and elevate it and put it on the pedestal to me it deserves to be? You know, because of the role that farmers play, you know, in food security, nutritional security, national security, I mean, the role farmers play is so tremendous, in my opinion. I don't think they've been valued that way. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. What are some things, speaking of the farm bill that you mentioned earlier, what are some things you would like to see in this upcoming farm bill that would help change that? So I'm a big fan of bringing women's voices into these conversations. Um, 70% of farmers in the U.S. are white male and 98% of the finance world is also white male. And so you have these very narrow demographics um, that are the dominant voices here. And I think, you know, every time I have been on farm anywhere and the wives and the grandmothers are, are out with all of us. Um, you hear different voices and you hear different stories. And I think we are so much stronger when we weave all of those voices and all of those threads together. That fabric is so much stronger when you have all of those voices together. And so bring these voices of women forward, women from the farming community, women from the food industry, Mothers bring those voices forward because 85% of consumer purchases are, are, are governed or influenced by the women of the household and the decision making at the federal level does not represent that. So the more that we can bring women's voices into these conversations as we talk about policy, as we, as we meet with members of Congress, as we discuss different things like the farm bill, um, I think it's critically important because, you know, the other impact that we've seen through COVID and the Russia-Ukraine war is the the increasing prices of food. So every American is feeling that. And um, again, as, as women and the primary influencers over what is um, put in that grocery cart, I think the insight that, that women have both on the farm and, you know, in the home, um, that value needs to be brought in, in brought into these conversations. 
Well, Robin, I highly value what you've had to say today, and I know that our listeners will as well. If they want to get in touch with you or replant and do any kind of work with all of y'all, how can they get in touch and what steps should they take? Yes, please get in touch. You know, we are working with different food companies um, across the industry. We are working with different beverage companies across the industry, different crop types. So we, you know, we've got barley growers, um, wheat growers, we've got dairy farmers, we've got the meat industry, berry, you know, the just the diversity of crop types um, is tremendous. And, you know, I think we've come out of a system where we sort of had this one size fits all mindset to agriculture. And, and that's just impossibly wrong um, when we're talking about the different soil types and crop types and geographic regions. Um, this, this, this knowledge and this insight that our farmers hold, I, I can't think of anything more valuable. So please find us at replantcapital.com. Please send us an email at hello at replantcap.com. Let them know that you've heard this conversation. Um, let me know what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it. Let me know what I've missed. Um, we're really open to that back and forth exchange. I don't think we're actually going to get anywhere unless we have that kind of dynamic and, and this incredible um, collaboration. So please find us at replantcapital.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you guys. Well, we will be sure to push our listeners that way. And thank you again so much for joining us, Robin. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Delaney, I cannot tell you how fun and exciting that conversation was for me to just get to know Robin a little bit and see what her idea is on what we can do as farmers and as Americans to help our food security and food safety grow. Certainly interesting conversation there. Sorry, I missed that one, but we're going to have more interesting conversations coming up this week on the podcast. So you do want to stay tuned. We also have interesting conversations, though. On the social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, find us there. Join the conversation. And with that, Cassidy, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.